Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I got a hot topic for you today, and I think I can sum it up in one word, and that word is submission. What comes to your mind? Let me put that in a greater context. I'm talking about submission within the marriage construct. I want to talk about that. Now, I've titled this, Submission is Never the Main Problem in Marriage, and I trust what I provide for you here will be a comprehensive look at the problem of submission within marriage. But here's the thing. When discussing submission problems in a marriage, we should equally scrutinize the submission and leadership constructs. You see, this is not an either-or proposition. For example, a half analysis focused solely on, let's say, the man's leadership to the exclusion of the wife's submission. Or a half analysis could be focusing exclusively on the wife's role of submission, but yet not examining the man's leadership. And when you do a half analysis, it will leave holes in the reconciliation process. And so we must examine both sides of the one flesh coin. Now, typically, I start with the man's leadership since he is the functional leader of the home. Now, I am not suggesting that I neglect the wife's role to submit, but the correct starting point, at least in my view, is vital if the goal is to help a couple work through their problems. And for me, the correct starting point is the man's leadership because, again, he is the functional leader of the home. And so I want to start with the leader and then work down proportionately. And so what I want to examine here is the problem with a lack of submission But I prefaced it this way on purpose because I do want you to know that this is not an either-or proposition. And though I'm dealing with the problem of submission, we have to make sure that we deal with both aspects. I realize submission is a hot topic within Christianity, but civil discussions can proceed if we would only refrain from engaging the two extreme camps that participate in this debate. And you're probably familiar with the two extreme camps. In one corner, we have those who find the idea of submission repulsive probably because of their past experiences or probably because of abuses that have happened or the way people have tried to gaslight or mandate submission requirements on the wife. And so that's in one corner. And then in the other corner, we have authoritarian types, and I'm talking about Christian authoritarianism. And when that happens, it discolors the biblical lens. It discolors biblical common sense. But between those two groups, and I trust you can find that middle space, and if you do, there should be ongoing, unending, charitable discussion about how much a wife should submit, which always includes two talking points, not one. And that's a wife's responsibility to submit and a husband's requirement to lead well. Now, let's suppose that a couple is genuinely interested in working through a wife's lack of submission problem in a marriage. Now, if that's what you have, 
Well, then they must flip the coin over and they have to discuss the husband's responsibility in their one flesh covenant. We cannot divide and isolate a wife's submission and a husband's leadership as though one does not affect the other. It is dangerous to only talk about a wife's lack of submission while not giving equal time to the husband's leadership role. And so if the goal is to resolve a legitimate submission problem with humility, and with courage, of course, well, we must talk about the entire issue, not half. And so I trust that that makes sense to you. I trust you realize how it would be hypocritical and inconsistent when an authoritarian Christian man doesn't apply this logic to both sides of the equation. And if he realizes that, and if the wife is willing to address her submission issue, then well, a lack of submission issue, then there's a great chance you can bring reconciliation to the marriage. However, there's one more point that I want to make here, and that is we cannot do behavioral modification. I have noticed that in the biblical submission issue, sometimes there can be a lack of discussion about root causes. You see, if a wife is not submitting, or if a teenager is rebellion, rebelling, or if a husband is not following God, well, those are behavioral things, and we could just mandate and, and try to force or manipulate them to do what they're supposed to do. But if we don't address the root causes, what is going on in the heart of the person who is not behaviorally following Christ, well, then ultimately we will not help them I mean, maybe they can maybe they can conform to what we ask them to do for a short season, but ultimately, because of their disordered souls, that, that they will go back to who they have always been because they haven't done proper renewal of the mind. Sometimes there can be a disproportionate amount of conversation concerning the wife's outward behavior of not submitting to her husband. This is an incomplete approach to the problem, and it is unfortunate because because it can lead to spiritual bondage at best and irreparable physical harm at worst if the husband becomes forceful in trying to get her to behaviorally modify by submitting to him. No Christian discipler worth their salt would hang out at the surface of any problem, especially this one. It would be evident that if a woman is not submitting to her husband, there is something under the surface of her life that is hindering her from submitting to her husband. Now, what I want to do here is to share with you 10 possibilities, not in a particular order, and this most definitely is not an exhaustive list. But my point here is to give you some ideas of what might be going on under the surface of of her life so that it will provoke you to think comprehensively about the transformation process because it is dangerous and I have seen this before where a husband mandates that the wife submit but yet he doesn't have the discipleship acumen or he doesn't have the patience to be able to find out why she is not submitting and so I want to throw out some ideas for you and I trust that they will help you to think through hey 
there might be something going on under the surface, and I want to make sure that I'm listening well, I'm asking the right questions, and I'm able to discover what is happening. And if you can root out the cause the heart calls, the source for a lack of submission, then the behavioral part will come easily and naturally. And so again, maybe you can add to this list of 10. This is just suggestive, not in any particular order. Number one, she's afraid to submit because of a sexual abuse situation in her past when she was a child. I don't know how much you have dealt with people who have been sexually abused, but if you're not familiar with that, just let me say that the lingering effects of sexual abuse can last a lifetime. I am not saying that they will be as powerful as uh, when it happened or the first few years afterward. There can be victory over sexual abuse that can make the traumatic event lessen over the years and decades that follow. But the lingering effects, to whatever degree that they are, they can still be ever-present in a person's mind, requiring the utmost care from all of her disciples, particularly her husband. Imagine that you have married a, a wonderful lady, but yet she was sexually abused as a child, and now you're asking her to submit to an authority figure, you, the husband. Well, there was an authority figure in her life. It could have been her father. It could have been an uncle. It could have been a neighbor. It could have been a school teacher. It could have been anyone much older than her. And he sexually abused her. And now you're asking her to come up under an authority figure at this point in her life. Well, that could be very triggering to her. And then the more you mandate that she submit to you, not recognizing that there's this underlying heart issue where she was traumatized as a child, well, that could be dangerous. And so she needs the utmost care from her disciples, particularly her husband. Number two, it could be that she grew up in a verbally or physically abusive family. And so there's no template for biblical submission. Her future husband must know how to create one for her, which he can do through his gentle and courageous example. Maybe you would be surprised to know that how many girls grow up in a home where biblical submission was never modeled, or worse, in this case, the daughter was verbally or physically abused, or maybe the father was quite distant from her, and so she just has no clue what biblical submission looks like. You're asking her to be something that she has never seen before. It's never been modeled for her. It's never been discipled into her. And so if she grows up in that situation, you want to be gentle. You want to be courageous, and you want to lead by your example, teaching her what biblical submission looks like. Of course, it will have proportionate and appropriate leadership accompanying it. Number three. She struggles with habituated patterns of fear because of fallenness. Now, in this case, I'm talking about her Adamic-shaping influence, which is not her fault. It's how she came into the world. Being born in Adam means something. Of course, we are totally depraved. We are broken through and through, but we are uniquely fallen. 
For those of you who have more than one child, you see the uniqueness of their fallenness, and sometimes you will have a child who is given over to worry or anxiety and fear. It is just how they are made. They have to work harder overcoming these things where you could have another child who is more sturdy, that they don't struggle this way. Uh, You'll see this in the academic environment as well. There's some kids that come into school, the ones that I was jealous of when I was in elementary school, where it just came easy for them, where I had to work twice as hard as the average student because it just did not come easy for me. We come into the world differently. And so you could have someone who just struggles with Adamic shaping influences like fear or anxiety. Number four, the wife could have a tiny soul, a small soul. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where he said some people are, are faint-hearted, meaning they are feebler, they have feebler capacities than, say, this more sturdy-souled woman who would never struggle this way. This is her capacity, which is a little bit different from the previous point, that she has a limited ceiling. Uh, She has a 16-ounce container. The other person may have a 32-ounce container, but because of Adamic shaping influences, they come into the world fearful, but they're able to overcome it as you shepherd the girl or the young lady through it. And then in number four here, you have the small-souled individual that they will always struggle with this anxiety, for example, or fear. And so you want to be careful as you as you help them to, to overcome. It says be patient with with this particular person, that you want to care for them and encourage them in a gentle way. Number five, she does not know what submission looks like or how to do it. Now, if she is similar to how I was reared, then she has no template. Uh, Earlier, I talked about a verbally abusive uh, parent, for example. Well, in this situation, it's not necessarily a a mean-spirited dad. Uh, It's just a person who has never seen it modeled between her dad and mom. Not growing up within a biblical family is a deficit for anyone after they marry. Number six, she is a new Christian. Even an excellent desire to do the right thing a wonderful desire to want to submit the way a biblical wife should submit. Does it happen naturally, intuitively, if she is a new Christian? She is a babe in Christ. She is a a novice. She is a, a newborn, and she's just learning what it means to do a lot of things, including biblical submission. And so she needs proper mentoring to grow up into Christ's likeness. Let me ask a question. How long did it take you to become a mature Christian? Sometimes we can forget that. I forget that. I mean, things that I have been doing for 40 years, I mean, the good things that I've been doing for 40 years, they, they become, uh, they, they become uh, intuitive. They become kinesthetic. They become just rote, part of who I am, and I don't even think about it any longer. It's like driving the the work for the 10,000th time that you get to work and you have no idea how you got there because it's such a habit that you are paying attention to other things because this comes so natural to you. Well, not for a new Christian. 
everything is hard. Everything is new. Everything is a challenge. And they're always creating new habits, including biblical submission. And so you're trying to make her to do something that is just not her habit because she is a new Christian. That is number six. Number seven, she's imbibed feministic egalitarian uh, teaching. It can be a challenge to swap faiths. She has a a different faith. If her religion was feminism, then you know that their worldview is rooted deep in the psyche, deep in the soul, and it can take years for the washing of the Word to cleanse her from those fallen perspectives, the faith of the feministic doctrine, and now that, that is actually, they find submission repulsive. They're always striving to be the same. They are removing gender differences. And when a person grows up in that kind of cultic religious faith, and then they are introduced to the faith of the Bible that is so radically different, antithetical to feministic egalitarian teaching, well, it can take a while to wash that out of them, to cleanse them from those fallen perspectives. Number eight. She became self-reliant. Self-sufficient people have difficulty relying, meaning trusting or submitting, on other people, whether it is a pastor or a husband. I mean, suppose her dad was a ruthless man. She learned early not to depend on him, code word, not to trust him. So she's not going to submit to him. She's not going to follow him. She learned to rely on herself. The only safe passage forward was through her ingenuity. That was the path to freedom. But now her husband requires her to trust and follow him in a biblical marriage where submission is required. But yet she has been practicing and living within the self-reliant construct for two and a half decades or more, and now she needs to rely on God, trusting that God's plan is the way, and part of that plan is to submit to her husband. Similar to the feminist that she is switching face, well, in a sense, the self-reliant person has a faith also. That faith is relying on herself. Number nine, She watched her dad abuse her mother, and she swore it would never happen to her. It's common for a child to jump from one ditch into another, and in this case, she fears what might happen to her because she has seen it acted out a thousand plus times in her home as a child. She knows how this thing is going to go because she has seen this movie. It has been set on replay over and over again ad infinitum. And so she doubles down on her resistance to any kind of authoritarianism, especially the authoritarianism of her husband. Number nine, she watched her dad abuse her mother. Number 10, she is on medication, which keeps her in cycles of erratic behavior. Did you know that the majority of our culture takes meds? Now, if you don't take medication, then you are a rare person. It is a general assumption. When you go to the doctor, they ask you what medications that you're on. Uh, We went to the doctor, or I went to the doctor, I guess it was a year or so ago, and it was asked that question. And when I said no meds, she just looked at me like, really? Are you telling me the truth? 
Once a person goes down the medication route, then finding the right medication will be a continuous process as the body acclimates to the last medication that they were taking, and sometimes that can keep you in a cycle of erratic behavior. The point here is that there could be many reasons that a wife is not submitting to her husband, and it would be unkind, it would be dangerous, typically it will not be helpful if you try to force them to submit when you haven't done the comprehensive care that she needs to find out why she is not submitting, particularly what might be going on in her heart. And I'm sure you could probably add to this list. This is just a short list about the woman that does not, uh, this does not get into a comparable list about what a husband brings into the marriage that would inhibit him from submitting to God and leading his wife well. You see, as I was dealing with the wife's baggage, I know some of you were thinking, well, what about him? Well, of course, he has baggage too. We're all baggage handlers, Uh, When you're in the dating relationship, we don't talk so much about our baggage. We keep it tucked away, and it's not that difficult to keep your baggage hidden from your uh, dating partner. But once you marry, you're two sinners in a box. You enter into a home. It is inescapable. It's not like the dating relationship where you can have breaks every day and you can get away from each other. It's kind of funny in a way. I was meeting with a couple just a few days ago. I did their pre-marriage counseling about three years ago, and we've been meeting with them about once a year since then. And they were saying that they were having communication problems. And so I went tongue in cheek on them. And I said, why are you having communication problems? Your dating relationship was such bliss. You talked for hours on end. You talked about everything. And it was so wonderful, your communication. There was hardly a blip in it. And now you're having communication problems after three years of marriage. That doesn't make sense to me. Of course, they knew that I was I was only joking. And the husband says, well, I mean, we're not dating anymore. And I think that says it all. For those of you who've been married more than a half a minute, you know exactly what he was saying. When you put two sinners in a box, you can't hide the baggage any longer. It's a whole different ball game when you move from dating to marriage. I think about all the problems that I brought into our marriage. When I mix my baggage with Lucia's baggage and you pour our baggage into one flesh, you're going to have a season of complexity. And so as I was going down that list of 10 things, you can find a comparable list of the husband, and then you take whatever applies and pour it into one container Well, not only is that a season of complexity, there'll be a little combustion as well. And so we want to make sure that we not just examine half of the situation. Why are you not submitting? We want to also examine why the husband is not leading well. We want to examine the entire one flesh union, not just mandating that a wife, you need to submit. Now, if a wife is not submitting, the problem is more significant than her lack of submission. Count on it. If our only answer is for her to submit, 
then we have not honored God and we have not served that wife well. Actually, what we have done is we have cliched her, submit. Uh, women are supposed to submit. The Bible says the women are so, wives are supposed to submit their husband. That, that's just clicheing her by gaslighting her into behavioral submission without addressing the inner complexities of her soul or whatever complications the husband brings to the marriage. And if we go down that road of forced submission without helping them, well, we might as well tie a millstone around the marriage and toss it into the ocean. If our first impulse is to talk about her lack of submission, then it begs the question, do you really want to find out why she is not submitting? Do you really want to know his role in the marriage problems? Or is the goal merely to get her to submit? If you want to read what I just shared with you, please go over to lifeovercoffee.com. I titled it, Submission is Never the Main Problem in Marriage. Now, you can type any version of that, and it should pop up for you. And you can read it, you can watch it, or you can listen to it, and that would be fantastic. Of course, the rule is that if you do any of those three things, then you have to share it with 1,000 of your closest friends because we depend upon you as evangelists, as, as sharing life over coffee wherever you go. And so please feel free to share our content with all of your friends and with your enemies, too. Before I wrap up, I do want to ask some questions. I have five of them here. Number one, why is it essential to address both sides of the one flesh union when discussing submission? Now, perhaps that you can't have this conversation with your spouse. I know it's true in some relationships that there's so much water that has passed under the bridge that they're not mature enough, they're not in a place where they can have a civil discussion, and there's too much spec fishing without appropriately addressing the log in each individual's eye, and I get that. And a marriage can be at that place. That's understandable. And so if that's true, then I would encourage you to, to find a mentor, find a disciple maker, someone that you can talk to, and then uh, talk out this question. Number one, why is it essential to address both sides of the one flesh union when discussing submission problems? Now, if you are the mentor, the disciple maker, and you're entertaining this question from a friend, Make sure that your friend is addressing the log in their eye and not the speck that is in their spouse's eye. You don't want to be complicit in the discipleship process. Number two, do you have a wife not submitting to you? Or are you helping a couple like this? If you are, will you talk comprehensively about this problem rather than just focusing on the wife? What is your role in leading? How did you come to your leadership conclusions? What shaped you to be the kind of leader that you are? What one change can you make in your leadership style that would not only honor God, but maybe will open the door for your wife to begin a process of being more vulnerable around you? Number three, what are some of the complicating factors in the wife that hinder her from submitting? Now, 
I gave you a list of 10, appeal to you to ask a few others if, if they come to mind. But I do want you to think about these complicating factors that are riding under the surface of her life, those things that are in her soul, in her heart, those things that have shaped her, made her, those things that are compelling to her, maybe habituations, maybe temptations. Uh, her past can be a strong shaping influence, and you want to make sure that you truly understand those complicating factors if your goal is to lead her into biblical submission. Number four, what are some of the complicating factors in the husband that hinder him from leading well? Same idea, same question. Remember, we're all baggage handlers, and so what have been some of his shaping influences? What have been some things uh, that keep him from leading well? And it may take a courageous and sturdy man to come alongside him to not only help him to see, uh, but but really uh, hold him to the fire and to uh, see it through so that he can experience transformation so that he can lead his wife well. And then finally, number five, as you address the historical shaping influences and the current heart issues, what is your practical plan to help the individual to resolve the past, whatever those shaping influences and other things that inhibit them from submitting well or leading well? How will you help them to resolve the past, find peace in the present, and they work toward a restorative future. They will need a practical plan that will have several beats to it or several mile markers as they move up the road uh, because this is not going to be one and done. They will need ongoing help as they move through this transformation process. Similar to the couple that I, we've been meeting every year for the past three years, you want to have some kind of structured care in their lives because these things, this transformation will not come naturally initially especially if they have long-term historical shaping influences that is sabotaging their current marriage. Therefore, you want a future restorative plan dealing with the present, but also have a plan to deal with the future. The title of this is Submission is Never the Main Problem in Marriage. It is a partial problem. You want to deal with it as you deal with the entire one flesh union. I appreciate you uh, listening and, and watching by video for those of you who do that. If you are interested in receiving training from us, I would encourage you to check out our Mastermind program. It is an all-online course. Recently, we had a, a new student come on board, and she said that, that she's been waiting for years to do this, but because she had children, that was her primary responsibility, and I praise God for her. Uh, but once her children have been uh, uh, empty nesting, this is the season for her, and so she's been wanting to do it, so she jumped into our mastermind program. Perhaps this is the season for you. This is something that you want to do. I would encourage you as a first stop to go and check out our LMS, a learning management system. It's our informational LMS, and it will walk you through all the aspects of our mastermind program. There are podcasts, there are videos, there are Q&A, there's a lot of written material and I'm pretty sure that as you get through that LMS, it will tell you everything that you need to know about our Mastermind program. However, 
If you do have a question that is not answered there, then I want you to hit the contact button in the footer of our website at lifeovercoffee.com and say, hey, I've gone through the LMS. It's answered 99% of my questions. I have two more. I want you to ask us, and it would be our joy to serve you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 